Welcome to episode three of our chapel podcast series, Faith That Works. This week's topic is from James chapter two, verses one to 13, brought to you by the Trinity College Queensland, presented by John Frederick. Well, let's pray. We'll start off um, our time together in prayer, and then let's ask and expect that the God who inspired these words will be with us through the preaching of that. Let's pray. Lord God, we thank you that you have caused us to be born again to a living hope by the resurrection of your son. Jesus Christ, so that we can see the kingdom all around us and enter it both now and forever by the power that you've provided in your Son through your Spirit. And wherever we're at today, Lord, we pray that you'd minister to us and through us to one another and that we would see more of you through the pages of Scripture and through the acts of kindness and compassion and mercy that come through your community, empowered by your Spirit to your glory. In the name of your Son, we pray. Amen. Amen. So James chapter 1 is interesting. I think some of you have had New Testament studies with me as I look around, and, and some of you are new. You don't know too much about me. I'll just share a little bit about myself. And the first thing I want you to know about me is that I am not a helicopter parent. I'm not a helicopter parent, but I am a perpetually hovering drone. And there's a difference between those two. A helicopter parent makes their cons- yeah, presence very conspicuous. So, you know, you've all seen helicopter parents. None of you are, I'm sure. Gregory, Gregory, don't hit your head on the monkey bars. That's a helicopter parent. <laughs> See, a drone parent practices a kind of dignified distance, a stoic kind of separation from the events, but they're always still there. But nevertheless, in their stomach, it's churning over and over again, just the same as a helicopter parent. See, I'm a helicopter parent, not. I am a drone parent, yes. But whether you're a helicopter parent or a drone parent, I've found that living in this country is enough to turn a helicopter into a drone or a drone into a helicopter. And here's what I mean. (laughs) And you know this because you've all lived here longer than me. I'm the kind of person that likes to plan for dangerous things happening, even when there's no chance that they will happen. And so I like to plan ahead. I don't like to act before reflecting, right? And unfortunately, in this country, you really should do that. And what happened a couple weeks ago was I didn't do that. I didn't fall. I fell short of that standard. And, uh, you know, it was the middle of the Australian summer, and I made a mistake. I acted before I thought. And this is what I did. I bought a slip and slide. I bought a slip and slide. (laughs) Now, there are two problems, at least, when you buy a slip and slide. And you can't blame me. It was the hot Australian summer. How many times can I take the kids to South Bank? Then I got to buy them chips. It's going to be very expensive. (laughs) <laughs> so I bought a slip and slide, and, and the first problem with that is it's a slip and slide. Everybody knows that slip and slides are dangerous. They're dangerous for four-year-olds, but they're even more dangerous for 40-year-olds. <laughs> I was the king of slip and slide that day. I was going across the yard like 40 times on my belly. I felt great, but my friends, the king paid the slippery price. <laughs> because the next day I woke up and all my ribs felt like they had fallen out. <laughs> Long live the king. Somebody get the king some paracetamol. <laughs> the second problem with the slip and slide was that I forgot we live in Australia. In order to plug this thing into the hose, I had to go through about 2.5 meters of God knows what bush. I was in there, <laughs> spiders everywhere, glowing in fluorescent colors and just reaching through like Indiana Jones on an expedition, turning this thing. And finally, I said, next time, I ought to think ahead. I ought to you know, plan before I act, and maybe I'll get some hedge clippers, which I also don't own, and cut a path through. Yeah, I thought not. I acted first. 
And I think what James is going to tell us first is a pattern for discipleship that preemptively listens and then proactively engages. And that's what I want us to look at today. But he's going to do that in three ways. Of course, it's a sermon, so there's got to be three ways that it unfolds. It can't be two ways. It must be three, you see. The first way is to tell us what the Word is. And then James tells us what the Word does. And only then can we apply that in James 2 to see how we can become doers of the Word. What the Word is, what the Word does, and how we become doers of the Word. So what does James tell us about the Word? After all, if we're going to build our lives on this message brought to us by the Spirit in Scripture, modeled around Jesus, why should we do that? What does the Word claim about itself? So here again from James 1, uh, verse 16, and we'll do that. Do not be deceived, my brothers and sisters. Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights. In Him there is no variation or shadow due to change. See, James gives us a theology of God, which teaches us a theology of the Word. And the first thing he tells us is this. The Word is good and perfect. Now, we hear that. People in our congregations hear that, and they think, good and perfect. It sort of almost sounds generic. It, it, what does it mean? Morally good, morally perfect. When you get underneath it in the Greek, like you all should do with me here, you can find that good means more like beneficial, useful, and perfect means more like of the highest caliber, totally complete. And see, when James is saying that all of God's gifts are these things, he's in the context of this passage speaking about one thing in particular, if you read a little verses later in verse 18, the word of truth. He envisions the word of God, the revelation of God, the message of God, to be one of those good, perfect, useful, complete gifts. But that's not all. He tells us more about this good, perfect, trustworthy gift. That it comes down from the Father of lights. And you say, John, you theologian people are always making too much out of nothing. And that might be the case, but I'm still going to do it anyway, because I think it's actually there in the text. The word in Greek, come down, can just mean to come down to the market or to the store or to a house. But many times in the New Testament, it's got a theological significance that is astoundingly uh, something that we need to look at. And here's what we see when coming down is used of Jesus when he comes down as the divine son in the Gospels. It's used when the Holy Spirit comes down and dwells on Jesus in Jesus' baptism. It's used to talk about Jesus as the bread of life who comes down from heaven to give life to the world. It's used in the book of Revelation to talk about the new Jerusalem that comes down and renews the face of the earth. And here's the theology behind it. Just as Jesus, the divine son, comes down. Just as Jesus, the bread of life, comes down. Just as the new Jerusalem comes down. Just as the Holy Spirit comes down. So, too, does God's word of truth come down from the Father of lights to change us and to make us new creatures. We're basing our lives on this word. We're preaching from this word. Why? Because it is a word that is good and beneficial and useful and complete, and it comes down divine from God. Of course, for human authors, we're reading James after all. So this is powerful stuff in here that I find, but that isn't the end of it. James tells us more about God, which in the context of this verse tells us more about God's word. God has no shadow due to change, no variation. And by telling us, telling us that about God, he's telling us something about God's word. 
that God does not deliver a seasonal gospel. That God's word is not subject to change upon every wind and every whim that we bring to it or that the culture brings around it. That in fact, the unchanging God delivers an unchanging word in the midst of an ever-changing world. And that is something that we can run to. That is something that we can rest in. And that is something that is worthy of building our lives on. Something that's certainly worthy of preemptively listening to before we act. The word of God come down from heaven to give us truth and to bring us to God. That is what the word is. But what does the word do? If we want to know what the word calls us to be as doers, we have to say, what does the word do? James says in verse 18, it is a gift that brings us to spiritual life. A gift that brings us to spiritual life. Do you ever notice how there are at least two types of people when it comes to Holy Scripture? There are Christians who take the message of Scripture and the teachings of Jesus to be faith teachings that are true, faithful, good, useful. And then there are agnostics or atheists who say, you know what, there's a lot of good stuff in that book. There's a lot to actually learn from that book. But there's also a lot of toxic stuff in that book. And there's also a lot of stuff that needs to be erased in that book. And there's also stuff that we shouldn't listen to. Right? It's two kinds of people. And you say, why would that be the case from the same text? And I think that James's text here really tells us this. That human beings, based on their own rationality, can never affirm God's revelation as true based on their own power and based on their own logic and based on their own human condition. Instead, the gift of God, of His Word, has to come into our hearts and change us to cause us to be new creatures, to accept what is written here and seems totally unbelievable to be the actual truth of reality that we can build our lives upon. That we cannot reason our way to God God condescends to us through the gift of His Son by the power of the Spirit and makes what seems unreasonable true by His Word. That's powerful. And in a world where people say, make the Bible reasonable enough to be, for me to believe, I want to offer, if they're listening here or here, I want to offer this gift. The Bible would never be reasonable enough to suit your human affections or needs. And what I pray is that God crushes the insufficiency of human reason with an eternal weight of His glory to bring you to hear the Word of God as it's meant to be heard uh, from Him. But if you're someone who's heard that Word, it's changed your life, I want you to remember that Word and rest in that Word and continue to run back to that Word and to be with me a preemptive listener to that Word before we get into proactive engagement in the world. It's what the Word is. It's what the Word does. And then we have to ask, how do we become doers of that Word? How do we become doers of that? We all want to be that, don't we? We all want to be active disciples, not just passive listeners. James gives us a pattern and a practice. The pattern comes at the end of this passage in James. He says, and I guess I'll just read it from the text. He says, Know this, my beloved brothers and sisters. Let no one be quick to hear. Let, uh, let every man, excuse me, be quick to hear. Slow to speak. Slow to anger. For the anger of people does not produce the righteousness of God. So it's, again, just hear that. Quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. James gives us a pattern to work against the act first, ask questions later, speak first, listen to scripture later kind of problem that I had when I acted first and then thought, really shouldn't have done that. 
He gives us a pattern, and it's not based in anything except for God's revelation through His Word. He wants us to be preemptive listeners so we can be proactive engagers of that Word. And so that's the first thing is, this isn't, when you read this and you think, this is just some weird wisdom statement that James drops in the middle of a discourse about His Word. It's not. It's actually meant to be read like this. Hear this. Be quick to listen to the Word. Be slow to speak about the Word. And never speak the word from a place of unrighteous anger. See, the whole context is the word. And James is not just like, you want to hear a nugget of wisdom? And then saying this random thing. He's saying, be quick to listen, slow to speak about the word, and and watch the place that that's coming from. I think we're all guilty of doing the opposite of that. And James is calling us and inviting us to be preemptive listeners before we act, before we do, so that our listening is based on the will and word of God. So that's the pattern, and what is the practice? Well, when we look at James chapter 2, which Aaron read, uh, we read 13 verses, I'm just going to look at a a few verses, there's really a way to apply that pattern that can help us to live it out. James is talking here about a church where the rich are given the priority. They're given the good seats, they're given honor, and the poor are said to sit in, you know, subjugation at the feet of everybody else, sit in subordination. And it's, it's a good word to us, but oftentimes I wonder, are we saying, those rich people, glad I'm not one of them. Those rich people are the bad guys, the capitalists, the Americans. <laughs> Why are you all laughing? <laughs> those rich people, which I am not. Hmm, really? Because even though I'm really sure there's some college students here who would be like, I'm definitely not rich, compared to the rest of the world, you are the rich. You are the rich. We are the rich. And it's really easy to get up on our soapboxes and say, we're for the poor and we're against the rich, which I'm saying is a rich person. Right? When you look at the global south and you look at the rest of the world, we're rich. So it's easy to say, Hey, man, I love that part of James because he's like, hey, rich guy, you broke one law, you broke them all. Got him. Zing. Destroyed him. Like a Jordan Peterson video. It's like Jordan Peterson destroys this one. Then they think you're destroying somebody when you say, you know, destroy the rich with that argument. But if we say we are the rich, it's coming back at us. Furthermore, I, I wonder sometimes if we might be desirous to be preemptive listeners but also partial listeners to the word. I wonder, I wonder sometimes if in our desire to listen to the word, we actually want to rewrite the word. We want the word to say what we think fits us and is most reasonable to our affections, our ideologies, our ideas. And so I think we can turn this back on ourselves and say, if you have broken one of the laws, you have broken all of them. If I have broken one of the laws, I have broken all of them. Happily, that is what James does. And he brings us to Leviticus 19 and he says, In the law of love, you can be a preemptive listener and kind of course correct that desire to lift up the rich and to lower the poor. And then the problem is, if we're preemptive listeners but partial listeners, we might take Leviticus 19 and say, Leviticus 19 therefore erases everything else. Sort of an open-ended anything-goesism. There's nothing else the Bible can tell us but love the neighbor. Right? And the problem with that is, then we're, we're sourcing what love means rather than the Bible. When the Bible's happy to do that for itself, actually. 
Right? The Bible can show us what it means to love most preeminently in Jesus' death on the cross for the sake of others. The Bible sources love, not me, not my ideologies, not any culture or sovereign government. The Bible does that, and the words of Jesus make it the clearest. And so, just as we conclude, a word of warning to all of us, right? As we throw these verses at the rich, thinking we're being preemptive listeners, we ought to recognize that we're the rich and that they apply to us as well. And so what does James drive us to? He drives us again to the gospel. He says the gospel is about a law of liberty. But again, the law of liberty is not a libertine law. The law of liberty is best translated in Greek, a liberating law. It's the law that exists in the reality that Jesus Christ has fulfilled the law and the prophets in your place for you and that you in him are righteous before God. It's a beautiful thing in the gospel. It's not an excuse to ignore anything else, but it's a beautiful reminder that we who have fallen short are brought close to God by grace alone, through faith in him who did it all for us, Jesus Christ. So, I pray that you be preemptive listeners. I pray that we all are. I pray that you avoid slip and slide, and that if you do, that you wear protection for your ribs. And all these things I'll pray for now. Lord God, we thank you for your word, the incarnate word, Jesus, who gives us light to see the words that you've revealed to the law and the prophets. Human beings do not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. And so we thank you, Lord, because we're hungry. And Lord, we want to leave here feeling not only hungry, but a desire to feel even further fed. And when we feel that hunger pang again, let us not settle for anything except for the revelation of God in Jesus Christ and how that works in our lives so that we become preemptive listeners and in every time we listen, that it would lead to action. Not an action that throws the gospel at others and stands in a soapbox, but a gospel that goes with the other, suffers for the other, for the sake of the other, like the Christ who we worship. In his name we pray. Amen. This podcast was brought to you by Trinity College Queensland. Honest answers to tough questions. Visit trinity.qld.edu.au to learn more.